Well, welcome, Crystal. Welcome, Kat. And welcome, listeners. And well, yes, welcome, listeners. Because we're not ignoring you. Mm, no, no, we're not. <laughs> I don't even they're there uh, you have to like pretend they're there i know i know but it's weird because you're only here and so like you know my imagination can only take me so okay. far <laughs> do we have any news or anything any oh, business geez. to take care of um we hit ten thousand downloads actually what? really yeah, we did oh, wow yeah that's, that's exciting, exciting. Yeah, so I really don't pay attention to all of that stuff Crystal usually tells me. So when you tell me... This that, really is the first I, time really you're hearing is, it. This is the first time I'm hearing it. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yay, everybody. I'm a Thanks. number and data nerd, so I like paying attention mm-hmm. to this stuff. And actually, you know what's really funny? Um, I'll say it now and I'll say it later okay. like when I do my episode next week. Uh-huh. I was looking at uh, all of our download information for the last year because we're just over a year old. I just wanted to see how widespread our coverage is. Yeah. We are in 49 states. What? What state are we not in yet? That's why I chose the case I'm doing this week. Just to get on the map. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Maybe if I do one from that state, (laughs) like people will be like, oh, that's local. Let's listen to it. Because people do that. uh, Yeah. I'm curious to find out what state it is. What? I started researching and I looked at our downloads um, because I peek at them about once a day just to see what's going on with them. That state, we have one download now. So they must know. So we, so we have reached all 50? We have now. But when I started researching this case, we didn't have room from that oh, state. Oh, and now we have one download. From that state. From yes. that state. Well, I hope they tell their friends from that state. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it is my turn today. Hi. Hi. What, Hi are we, what are we covering today? So this is the case of Zara Baker and just trigger warning. And the only trigger warning that I'll give because it just happens throughout is this is a, uh, a crime against a child, but she is also a disabled child too. So oh. I just wanted to put that, uh, that trigger warning out there uh, for you. So, Our case starts on October 9th in 2010, and this happened in the city of Hickory in North Carolina. Around 5.30 a.m. on that day, Elisa Fairchild Baker made a 911 call to report that there was a fire in the back of her home. So when police get there, there wasn't really any fire. They did find a ransom note that was addressed to a Mark Coffey, which I will get to Mark Coffey in a second. Um, And they also smelled a strong smell of gasoline coming from the back of her husband's truck. But they checked everything out, meaning there really was no fire danger. The fire department was even there. there was really nothing to kind of report or to take care of. They just got there. There was the ransom note, the smell of gasoline. They even checked on Mr. Coffee, who happened to be the landlord 
of that property and he was fine. And the reason they had to check on him uh, was because the ransom note mentioned his name. And so they investigate, they clear everybody and make sure everything is all right. And then they left. Uh, What? Yeah, it was just everything like everything is not all right. <laughs> everything is okay, Crystal. No, it's everything not. is okay. They checked. There was no fire. No one was in danger. There was just a ransom note. The smell of gasoline. So they left. Oh, okay. So the there police was... in Hickory don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I no. I think the police in Hickory probably had more important things because you're going to learn a lot about um, Elisa Fairchild that you're like, yeah, I probably would have checked on it and left as well. So okay. Eight hours later, however, around two p.m., another nine one one call happens from this residence, and this time it is Adam Baker, Elisa's husband. And he is calling, and mind you, he is very calm when he calls, but he is calling because his daughter, who is 10 years old, is now missing. And he explains that the ransom note that was found on his truck that the police had found a couple of hours before mm-hmm. uh, was for $1 million, but that he he was thinking someone made a mistake because since this is Mr. Coffee's property that they live on, that somehow they thought he, they were the Coffee family. And um, so he said maybe the fire that... that happened or that was going to happen was all just a distraction because now his daughter is missing and he even I'm I'm sorry I'm going back (laughs) to when the police showed up at 5 a.m why was there not more questions asked okay so when the police show up at 5 a.m in the morning or I think it was was it 5 a.m or 2 30 yeah, at 5.30 a.m., they did check out the ransom note. The ransom note did mention Mr. Coffey and saying that they were going to take his daughter. Well, Mr. Coffey also, they checked on him. Mr. Coffey's daughter was at home. Mr. Coffey was fine. He didn't even know what everybody was talking about. So they're like, oh, so this is just like a, a fake to do, right? Maybe keep going because I I have a feeling there's just... Oh, there's just wait. Okay. Just just wait. Keep going. Just wait. I'll hold my questions. Yes. So um, he told the police that he thinks the fire or... Because really when they got there, there was a fire. It was already small. And I want to say that it was already put out by the time they got there. Like it wasn't even a big deal. Okay. And but so, I mean, still smart to call because yeah. a house fire is spreads very quickly yeah. depending on what catches. So even if it's a small one, still a good idea to call Exactly. And that's what she did. And so now that, and by the way, Adam was not home at this, uh, when Elisa called about the fire a couple of hours before. Okay. Okay, so he just gets home and then he hears all of this has happened and he's like, okay, well, where's my daughter? And so he calls the police and now his wheels are spinning and he feels like the fire was a distraction so that someone could take his 10-year-old. And why did no one notice that she was missing until he came home? 
Ex- and this is the police asked this because okay. why did he wait about 12 hours to report her missing? Correct. He said he last saw his daughter at 2.30 a.m. when he left for work because he works night shifts. So he said he left at 2.30 a.m. That's when he last saw her. I, and I would presume she was sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. And the police still finding this kind of odd. They're like, right, because the mother must be home. They're like, why? Exactly. And he's like, well, you know, I just, I really don't have any idea because my daughter rarely comes out of her room. He even blamed it on her brooding, like being a brooding teenager, but she's only 10 years old. I mean, preteens can be pretty broody sometimes. Though. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you hear about Zara, she's, I don't think she was brooding. Okay. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this 10 year old that is now missing. So Zara was born actually in Australia, in Wagga Wagga, Australia in 1999. She was born to Adam Baker and Emily Dietrich. Emily Dietrich actually gave up custody of Zara shortly after her birth because of postpartum depression. Aww. She she couldn't really handle it. Um, so Adam took custody of Zara. And then in 2004, he took Zara and he moved in with his parents who lived in um, Giru, Queensland. And if I say that wrong, I apologize. Um, And there he lived with his parents and he worked at a sugar mill, just basically working and um, raising his daughter. Unfortunately, in 2005, Zara was actually diagnosed with bone cancer. And then shortly after that, lung cancer. Oh, yeah. That's a lot for... Oh, it, it's a lot. She's now six years old when all of this oh, is happening. Oh, so sad. Isn't that sad? And because of the cancer and, and the treatments, um, her lower left leg is actually amputated. Mm-hmm. And she also lost most of her hearing, which resulted in her now having hearing aids in both ears. Oh. Yeah. So despite that cancer battle at such a young age, uh, Zara was described as... Just just such a delightful child, a true survivor. People who talked about her said she had bright eyes, um, a beautiful smile, always very positive, and just a happy, gutsy girl um, with an amazing spirit. So her and Adam, they're kind of getting, her dad, they're getting through, you know, this cancer, all the cancer treatments. Adam is taking very good care of his daughter. Adam's um, parents are also helping with the care of his daughter. But then Adam meets Elisa Fairchild, who just so happens to be from North Carolina. And they meet online on an IMVU Gothic website. Now, if oh, you don't I know this site, I used to use it. Okay, so IMVU, and I looked it up because I didn't know what it was, but it's a metaverse social networking website, which I guess you have your own avatars. Yep. Um, so it's actually per, it's pronounced IMVU. Oh, okay. Because um, it's an IMing website. It's like AIM. Kind of. Okay. Okay. But you like you said, there's avatars, so that's where the view, like you're viewing someone, and the avatars have little chat bubbles. You interact with each other. You can actually make your avatar interact with their avatar. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I was probably way too young when I used it. Uh, yeah, honestly. I was gonna say hello. 
What were you four when you used this? I was too young. I'm not going to go into age. <laughs> well, that's where they met. And actually, Elisa had an online identity as Elisa, a dark and glamorous goth woman. That's kind of Everyone like what. Is dark and <laughs> that's kind of what her avatar kind of like put I out can there. Picture it in my head too. I yeah. can totally see it. Yeah. Um, so they began chatting offline. So they like moved. They were doing it on the I'm View, and then they began chatting offline. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Elisa flew to Queensland to visit Adam, okay. and. Um, they soon married after that. And when I say they soon married after that, it was probably within a couple of weeks that they got oh. married. Little did Adam know, though, Elisa had already been married six times. Oh. And she was actually still married to her last husband, what? Aaron Young, at the time of her marriage to Adam. But since it, they got married in Queensland, Australia, it wasn't picked up on. Right, because they. So wait, was she? Does that mean she was actually legally married? Yeah. To Adam, no, we're, we'll get into that later. But okay, kind of, sort of, no. But here, Adam's thinking they are legally married, at least in Australia, right? right? Um, right. So, uh, and the story with that is, is that Elisa, who you'll find out, is just a liar. She went later when we talk about you know, Aaron Young and everything, she claims that she thought she was divorced, which, okay. I don't know how you can think you're divorced, but that she was under the impression she was divorced. Um, This is when she tries to back everything up. However, they start this little family together with Z. Z's cancer actually goes into remission in 2008. Um, And so this is when Adam's like, great, this is a good time. I am going to um, move Z and myself to North Carolina to be with my wife, Alyssa. So he just really thought this was going to be good for him and Zara. And this may lead to even, he was really thinking like, we're going to be a family and maybe we'll even have more babies. And Zara oh, will actually. Sounds so sweet. Yeah, and Zara will uh, have siblings. And he just believed that this was a new beginning for him and his daughter who had already gone through so much already. Yeah. But. Before we get into kind of them moving to North Carolina, I, I really need you to know a little bit more about Elisa Baker. Well, Fairchild, right? Before she got married to Adam. Yeah. So Elisa Annette Baker was described as a pretty chubby-cheeked little girl with jet black hair when she was younger. She was the middle child of a family of three girls, and um, her parents worked for a textile furniture company in North Carolina in the 1960s. And um, I feel like her parents had like kind of that, that ordinary, you know, how one parent is a little more is good cop and bad cop, right? So in this situation in her family, dad was really the good cop, the warm parent, and mom was more of like a hard disciplinarian. Um, People say that, you know, Elisa was really sweet as a little girl. And as she got older, that sweet demeanor just started slowly changing. And it was when she got into her teenage years, her early teens is when, her behavior just started really 
turning dark. Um, and she started talking back to her parents, swearing at her parents. Her mother, being the disciplinarian that she was, would slap her for this behavior. Um, she would become. She became very manipulative. They said cunning and just insecure. And at this point, she was kind of like using that manipulative side of her to like learn how to talk her way out of situations. Like she would get in trouble, but then she would just like turn and twist everything around so that then it was the other person's fault and basically gaslighting, right? That the yeah. other person was crazy and that she was just the innocent person in all of this. And so never ever took um, responsibility for any of her bad behavior. It's really sad when someone's personality gets this way so mm-hmm. young. Mm-hmm. And where it's not, um, it's not treated or it's not addressed yeah. ever. And I think this was a situation, especially how she goes from this like sweet, cute little girl to all of a sudden this just like change, such a drastic change. I do believe there's some mental health issues going on there. Um, she is a compulsive liar or becomes a very compulsive liar. But she was very popular in school, and she could be extremely social. But she always struggled with her weight. She actually, like, her weight fluctuates. I mean, looking at pictures of her as she's young and as she gets older, it's almost like these highs and lows. Like, she gets super big, then she'll get super thin, super big again, and super thin. Interesting. I wonder if there's some kind of hormonal imbalance. Uh, Oh, there has to be. You'll see there has to be some sort of hormonal balance in this. Even when she became older, at, at one point she becomes very obese, but then is able to lose the weight again. Um, but men and boys were always drawn to her always like even at her heaviest, there was men that were always chasing after her. I feel like someone like this knows how to be that bright, like the type of personality that everybody is attracted yeah. to. And it's not until you get really close yeah, and you uh, get on her bad side that you see the poor quality. Yeah. Yeah. She knows how to reel them in. And that's when I think she unleashes the darkness, you know? But just a little look into uh, Elisa and her years of just lying. Um, In high school, she has this boyfriend um, named Jerry Winkler. And they were on and off in high school. Uh, They both drop out before their senior year. And they lose touch for a little bit. At this point, Elisa has a newborn daughter from another relationship. So when they got back in touch, Elisa was like 18 And then she meets up with Jerry again. And Jerry's like, oh, sweet, you have a newborn daughter. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, where's the dad? And she's like, the dad left. And he's like, well, I love you. I want to marry you. So two weeks later, they get married. What? Yeah. This is what I'm talking. She's like able to like draw these people in. He didn't even care that this wasn't no, his that baby. that was like zero yeah. to 60. Like, yeah, the father left me. Okay, I'll, I'll 
be the father. Like I, Exactly. So this was in September of 85. They even tricked Jerry's parents into thinking that Jerry was actually the father of the child. And she even went so far as to forge blood tests. What? So that she could go to Jerry's parents and say, see, this is like Jerry's the dad. Okay. Yeah. So their marriage was actually short-lived. I think Jerry's parents managed to like, kind of like bring Jerry back into reality. They knew that kid wasn't his, right? And so that marriage was short-lived and it was later annulled. So then um, a year later, she meets um, a Joseph Proctor in September of 87. And after dating for a few months, she becomes pregnant and they get married that September. So they have their son is born. And then a year later, they have another baby, which is a daughter. That marriage, of course, is rocky. And um, he, Elisa is actually accused of vandalizing her mother-in-law's property. So Joseph's mom's property that they lived on. Um, the mother-in-law actually took a restraining order against Elisa, who's her daughter-in-law, right? right? And Elisa threatened to kill the children. What? If the mother-in-law asked her to leave the property. So so her mother-in-law was like, get out. You can't live on this property anymore. And Elisa's like, well, if you kick me out, I'm just going to kill all the children. Oh, my God. So Elisa finally leaves in 1990. Um, the son that she had with Joseph Proctor stays with Joseph Proctor. Good. And she gains custody of her two daughters. Oh. The one that she had right out of when she dropped out of high school and then yeah. the one she had with Joseph Proctor. Um, their divorce was final in 1992 and that same year, this girl, she just, she is one after another. Yeah. She meets and marries Andrew Harris Jr. After a few weeks of dating. And Andrew actually says later that he noticed a personality change after, like directly after they married. Um, and I think all of these other guys before Andrew noticed that too. Yeah, and not I think, surprising. Yeah, and I think this is how all of this was short-lived. But he said um, it was a huge personality change that she was always yelling and hitting her daughters. She would always be angry with them, um, forcing them to stay in their rooms. Oh. Yeah. Unfortunately, in 1994, Andrew and Elisa have a huge fight. He leaves the house. And when he comes back, all of her, all of his stuff is gone. She basically like, uh, moved him out, moved him out. Yeah. Um, so they eventually divorced. And Elisa just moves on to the next one. Later that year, the same year that she has a huge fight and they get divorced, she meets Daryl Putnam through a neighbor. He was actually 30 years old and deaf. And um, he could understand a little when his hearing aids were on. They dated for a few weeks and then he moved in with Elisa and her two daughters. At this point, Elisa's mom dies of cancer, and then her weight just balloons again, and she begins drinking all the time. And Daryl said that he would not see her for days. Like, he would be taking care of the girls, and she would just be off on a, on a binger. So they got a divorce. 
And she just moved right on to the next one. Um, her husband before Adam was Aaron Young, who she married in 2009. And um, Aaron would actually later tell the police that it was kind of the same thing that Daryl would say, that when they got married, her personality drastically changed. She had a lot of highs and lows. And she would often isolate herself from others and then just immerse herself into this online world where uh, she really enjoyed kind of like that that whole goth scene. And so she would just like disappear and be on her computer and like not even interact with him. Um, and That's so sad yeah. though. She's actually married to Aaron when she meets uh, Adam Baker in these chat rooms in this goth world that she's immersed herself in. How sad for him though that she's off holding herself up on a computer talking to other people while he's taking care of her children. Exactly. That's what I thought too. And you know Adam uh, Adam's not innocent because you'll we'll hear more about Adam later. Not Adam. I'm sorry. Aaron Baker, her other husband, um, because he also enjoyed the online scene too with her. Um, but yeah, it's sad that she she can get into these dark places. And then what about her two kids? Right. You know. So that's sad. So, anyways, this is about the time that. She meets Adam Baker. They fall in love. Um, she later says about Adam and that whole process is that she just really liked a Adam right off the bat. She loved that he was a single dad and that he took such great care of um, of Zara when she was sick and had cancer and that she just fell in love with those aspects of him. You know what I also just thought of? Hmm. What did she tell Aaron when she went to Australia? Like, what was her story for I why have she no had to idea. travel? I have no idea. But And then the fact that she didn't take her daughters with her when she went to Australia. Right. So who's taking care of her daughters? I feel okay. like Elisa just does what she feels at any given moment. Oh, yeah. Keep going. So, um... Zara and Adam, this is, so she meets Adam, they get married, and eventually Zara and her dad move to the United States and to join Elisa and to start a family. So when they moved originally to North Carolina, they moved around several counties before settling in the small town of Hickory, North Carolina. And Zara actually attended public school um, after they first moved, but it was very, very short-lived. Uh, many neighbors and teachers began suspecting child abuse from the very start. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. After Zara arrived at school with a black eye one day in the fourth grade, two of the teachers actually took it upon themselves to do their own home visit. Good. Like, yeah, they weren't going to wait for a CPS or Good. anything like that. They did do a home visit. Of course, all of Zara's uh, bruises and everything like that were explained away, right? They did follow through and contact CPS, and we all know what happens with CPS, right? 
uh, not, they don't always follow up or follow through very consistently. Unfortunately, though, CPS already had some history with Elisa because of um, abuse charges and like suspicions with her other two daughters. So does that mean they took this report more seriously? Not quite. No. Ugh. Yeah. It was just added into her file, basically. Okay. I I had hope for a second. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. We're angry again uh, this week. I'm still waiting for that case where CPS comes in and murders the parent themselves. And then I would love if there's a case like that where they're like, nope. We're just going to take care of this on our own. That would be a good... Me if I worked for CPS, Yeah, <laughs> CPS vigilantes working for CPS. <laughs> that would actually be a good TV show. Someone write that show and then give us credit. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the neighbors also were calling CPS too, and they claimed that Lisa was um, mentally and physically abusive to Zara and basically neglecting her. One neighbor told police um, after the fact that Zara frequently had bruises, same thing that the teachers were saying, and Elisa would always have a comment about how clumsy she was or that she fell or it was her fault or it was her prosthetic leg because she doesn't have a leg and she can't walk very well. Like, she would blame everything on Zara. Like Because that's not suspicious at all. Exactly, exactly. This is what bugged me. After Zara is missing, relatives would say that she was beat up almost every time they, like, family was over there and that they noticed that Elisa would beat up Zara for any little thing. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling the police this now? Why wasn't anyone telling the police this while this was when happening. When it was happening. Yeah. Stuff like that really pisses me off. When people, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a mandatory reporter. And so I feel more, you know, like. No, I feel like, <sighs> I don't know, maybe. I think every human being should be a mandatory reporter. Honestly, but at the same time, like, I don't care if you're my family. Like, if I see you mistreating your children. Yeah. To the point where I, you know they're beating their child. Right. What, you don't just sit there and go, oh, not my child, not my business. Exactly. Like, no. And how gutsy are you to do it in front of other people? Yeah. How comfortable are you with this? Knowing, because she knows no one's going to do anything or say uh. anything. So shortly after these suspicions... Um, and reports by teachers and neighbors were um, being frequently reported to CPS, Elisa decided to take Zara out of school to homeschool her. And again... Except you know she's not going to homeschool exactly. her. Exactly. There was no proof that she continued homeschooling her, by the way. She just kept her at home. Which and again... how old was Zara at this point? Um, so that would be... She was around eight, seven or eight now. So that means for two years, essentially. Yeah. 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 And no proof that she... Okay, so again, if I am a CPS person and I have had complaints about this woman and now they pulled their child to homeschool them... That's a huge, big, fat red flag. Yeah. So I don't know why someone didn't intervene at that point, but they didn't. Okay. And very unfortunate. So um, they did 
make several visits to Elisa and Adam's home, though. So it was always kind of like home visits. They would check everything out. And again, remember, I told you, Elisa has a way of talking herself out of situations. And I only can imagine that if she was able to get seven guys to marry her, and she's like a horrible person, I think she can talk her way out of CPS visits. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know, because I feel like putting on a a fake show to get someone to like you is different than talking to someone whose literal job is to question why your child is like showing up with bruises and stuff. Like you can give me the most normal sounding thing in the world. And if I worked for CPS, I'd still be like, meh, I'm going to need more. What? But, but but also this is me who I don't work for CPS and we know that CPS. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> like job, you say so. that's that's their job. But how many cases have we covered where CPS obviously didn't do their job? And I'm not saying it's because these people that go into C- CPS or that are social workers don't care. I feel like they are so overworked. And it's the system. It's, it's the system. You know, so um, you know when people show up in these organizations as a new hire coming in, you're bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, uh-huh. want to make a difference, want to help all these children. Yeah. Really slowly, the office politics seep oh, I'm into sure. you. And eventually, you turn into another one of these people Oh, that's like, well... She was alive and breathing when I knocked on the door. Sounds good. Exactly. Oh, I'm, I'm totally, totally that's what would happen. So basically, I don't really feel the situation that Zara was brought into. Uh, first of all, I think CPS has failed this child around this time. Um, her own father, who really honestly, I feel, started out with every good intention, Um, but how do you not check out a person that you are going to move across the world for with your child? And and how do you, I mean, at least do a background check because he would have seen, you know, that she was married, that she was married. And I mean, CPS had investigations open on her for previous suspected abuse on her own biological children. So I just I don't understand how he can. So he works at night, which means he sleeps during the day. At some point, he has to see his daughter. Yeah. At some point, he's got to at least be seeing her at least to like say hello. Let's chomp down a really quick dinner together. Um, Well, you're going to find out that he hadn't. He later admits to not seeing Zara for two weeks prior to reporting her missing because he was working so much and at work. Wow. Mm -hmm. So back to that night or the day she's reported missing. So police are suspicious right away after that second 911 call. Yeah, Um, me too. While they're searching for Zara, at the same time they're looking closer into Elisa and to Adam. So the next day, actually, on October 10th, they came armed with warrants and they go to the baker's house. They have search and rescue dogs. 
um, cadaver dogs and they are searching everything. Um, The dogs signaled positive alerts to the smell of human remains on both of their cars. They had a Tahoe and a sedan and um, the smell of human remains are alerted to on both cars. Wow. Police took swabs of what they thought was blood evidence from both cars. Um, They took a couple of pieces of evidence from the residents and I believe a computer And at this point, too, they're also going door to door and they're talking to the entire neighborhood, handing out pictures of Zara, gathering surveillance from nearby businesses, from any neighbors who may have surveillance on their home. And at this point, they are able to arrest Elisa for unrelated charges to Zara being missing. Uh, They are able to arrest her for a charge for communicating threats writing bad checks, larceny, and driving with a suspended license. So basically- These people always get caught on the stupidest shit. Yeah. And I think the police here were like, they obviously ran her file. They're like, great, she has other warrants. Let's just get her for this and bring her in. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because then they can build a case against her because they have all this other stuff that they probably have tons of evidence for if she has warrants out for her arrest, obviously. So they can get her and book her and hold her while they're working on everything else so that she doesn't have time to talk her way out of anything or hide anything. Exactly. I like this. I like the police. Yes. No, the police did. They did a good job. So as the police are working behind the scenes on this, Adam Baker, the next day, uh, because this uh, case got, you know, exploded onto social media, obviously, because we have a little girl. She she has she suffered from cancer, right, in remission. And now she's gone missing from Australia. Um, He actually appears on Good Morning America the next day. And he just pleads for any information on his missing daughter. But it was actually during this interview where he kind of contradicts himself from what he told the police about that night where he says he saw her at 2.30, right, before he went to work. And then it was in this one that he said he probably hadn't seen her for a couple of days because he had been working for so long. Oh, why would you say yeah. that? Good morning, America. Yeah, exactly. So then... On October 12th, the Amber Alert that was originally placed for Zara is canceled, and they announced that Zara's disappearance is now a a homicide investigation. And this is where Elisa admits that she wrote the ransom note that they found the night of the original 911 call. This is me... Not surprised. Exactly. So she is immediately charged with obstruction of justice. Good. Um, and then it was at this time that police were able to confirm the last sighting of Zara alive by someone other than Elisa and Adam, who you can't believe anymore, right? Because he doesn't know when he last saw her, yeah. which was September 24th. Wow. Two weeks Prior to her going missing, it was a a furniture store in Hickory in the local town. The store manager, Pat Adams, confirms that he saw Elisa and Z in the store. And he only went to police 
after he saw um, Zara's picture on the news. I keep calling her Z because I have her Z in my notes, but it's Zara. No one ever called her Z, so I apologize. Um, I do the same thing in my notes because you write yeah. the name so many times. Yeah. Um, so police look deeper into Elisa, obviously. Uh, she actually had a MySpace page at the time, and her her little kitschy handle was goth fairy six, 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 eight. And why, her, <laughs> why the eight? A six, six, I don't know. Six was probably taken. Why not a six? Why not a nine? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Those two other options were probably taken, but her MySpace page, uh, was just basically a lot of Gothic images. There was a slideshow of personal photographs. There's a lot of photographs with herself and Adam and with Zara. And actually one of the pictures she had of Zara on there was, it was captioned the, the dark child, LOL. Um, what? Yeah, the dark child. Laugh out loud. So the last time she was actually logged into that was October 8th, which is interesting because that's the day before the 911 call. And in her details section, as you had on MySpace, um, she was listed, she listed herself as a proud parent. And you know how on MySpace you could change your mood like daily, I like never what your had mood MySpace. was? Oh, you didn't? Oh, yeah, I'm the you right age, but I wasn't yeah. allowed to have it. So okay. there's a lot of things I missed out on. Well, under whom, uh, under her, under her mood, it was crazy. She was just crazy. That was her mood. Okay. <laughs> I just thought, okay, thanks. So on October 20th, there's an actual bond hearing, um, which... It was funny because her lawyer tries to go to reduce her bond and actually her bond is raised nice. from 65, from uh, 40,000 to 65,000. Um, and her daughter, her biological daughter, Amber Fairchild actually testifies during her bond hearing saying that her mom was talking about leaving North Carolina the day before her arrest, um, saying that she had a online relationship with a another man from England. Oh my God. So she, she had been telling her daughter about this and she had already even sent money to him. So this, no so wonder. obviously Adam has yeah. to work so hard with this woman giving all his money away. Exactly. So they, they determined she was obviously a flight risk. Uh -huh. um, they obvious, they also pointed out that she had tons of failure to appears in court for a bunch of her other uh, charges that she was now arrested for. So they're like, no, she doesn't even come to court for any of these things that she is already charged for. Uh, she was talking about leaving North Carolina and she has a dude she's talking to in England. We're going to make it harder for her to leave. Good. Um, while she's in jail dealing with all of this, Eric Gein, who is actually a criminal memorabilia collector. He's the owner and dealer of Serial Killers, Inc. He actually used a fake name and he wrote to Elisa while she was in jail. Oh. This was before like they find um, Zara and everything. And she writes him back twice. She's like in, right? I think she sees any male attention as like she's just going to like soak it up take it and run with it uh-huh um and these letters are actually given to the police every everything that she wrote 
um, he just kind of reported back to the police. And she even wrote in one of these letters, we really didn't kill her, but what we did after the fact is kind of horrifying. Why would you write that in a letter? Because she's an idiot. Obviously. And then she writes, and I quote, it makes me scared of him. Okay. So. This sounds like her trying to lay down a story for herself. That and I'm I this, think that's. I'm this poor woman who witnessed this horrible thing my husband did. I'm scared of him. I need protecting. Yeah, I think so. I think so. On October 23rd, through her lawyer, and this was after the, I think she knew that the police then had this letter, right, where she's obviously confessing. Uh So through her lawyer, she contacts the DA and she says, okay, I'm going to give you some information about Zara and where she might be. But she had some conditions, before she was going to give this information. What does she want? Exactly. So this is her first condition, and this is quoted directly from the file. First, in exchange for ending the search of Zara Baker and ending the mystery that surrounded her death, the prosecution of Elisa Baker would be limited to second-degree murder, so as long as her statement to law enforcement was truthful. Okay. So she's basically... You can't, you only can get me um, for second degree murder if everything I say is true, right? Right. But um, what that means is if she lies even a little bit, they can go for yeah, something higher. They can go for something. Yeah. I like exactly. the loophole. Uh huh. Second, in the event that it was determined that Elisa Baker was not truthful, she could be cross prosecuted for first degree murder, but her statements and evidence would be excluded. What? Yep. Absolutely Mm -hmm. not. The district attorney continued, in other words, Elisa Baker's statements would be admissible only in a prosecution of second degree murder or less. Okay, but I feel like if they were going to go for first degree murder, this is like... If someone confessed to a murder, they still need all the other evidence to get them. So Uh excluding her, her information, if they went for first degree murder, not the worst thing in the world because they would have so much other stuff. I feel like, and I just feel, I just feel like she basically said, I'm going to tell the truth. But I might mess up, so I'm going to give myself two cushions. Yeah, but what I also notice it doesn't say is that, I mean, technically, oh, I like this. Look at my brain working. She and Adam are not legally married, which means that there's no protection there that they can't testify against each other. Yeah. So that would mean that if they went for first-degree murder on her... Her statements couldn't be used against her, but they could be used against him. Yeah. Yep. Look at me go. Look at you go. (laughs) I'm like, yep, that sounds good and smart. Uh, So so the prosecutor's office, they obviously agree to these terms because I think everybody just wants to find Zara. Yeah, they want to find Zara. They want to get dissolved. Yeah, and know where she is. So on October 25th, 
at 3.12 a.m., Adam Baker is actually arrested. But this was on unrelated charges as well. So he had actually gone into the Hickory Station to give a statement. Mm -hmm. And it was there that they're like, listen, we have you on these unrelated charges. You have five counts of fraudulent checks. You have one count of assault with a deadly weapon. And you have a failure to return rental property. Um, so they arrest him and he's held on $7,000 bail. So obviously I think the police know that he's not at a big risk. It's like, that is such like a, a backhanded, like, ha fuck you, yeah. dude. Cause they're yeah. like, you can't even write a single check for like exactly. 20 bucks. Let's see you pay 7,000 fucker. Exactly. Oh exactly. We know your checks are bad. So. <laughs> They're like, what's the lowest we're allowed to yeah. do? <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't $5. We are holding you on $5 bond. He might have that in change in like his cup holder or something. <laughs> I don't know. I Here's the thing. I don't think that Adam is the brightest uh, crayon in the box. So let's just leave it at that. Okay. I think just his choices in life lead me to that assumption. On October 26th, um, this is actually really sad. Hickory police actually find a prosthetic leg, a small prosthetic leg, which they believe to be Zara's. And they find that in like the brush off of Christie Road in Caldwell County, which is the same county that Hickory is in. It later, like it was a couple weeks after this, they're able to match and determine it was in fact uh, Zara's uh, prosthetic leg because they matched the serial numbers to her files in Australia. So the serial number in the leg. Man, that's um, so sad. Yeah. Um, on October 27th, Adam surprisingly is bonded out of jail. I think somebody else wrote the check. Um, and shortly after he is bonded out of jail, uh, he's actually evicted from his home by, you remember, Mr. Coffee, who owns the property that they were living in? Yeah, I don't blame him. And no. Um, the property and Mr. Coffee is obviously, and the police, I mean, they, he didn't have to give him permission, but uh, the police are still processing and, and, you know, taking evidence from the home. So he's evicted out of there. Uh, they really don't let him go back in to take anything for a while. Right, because like, it's an he, active crime scene. He can't can't go in. Yeah, correct. So between November 1st and November 10th, this is when um, Elisa kind of, it, it was like a long process. She didn't just sit down and tell the police, you know, everything. Of course it was not. Um, she kind of leaked it in like little spurts. She, um, so, God, what was that guy's name? The one that likes Snickers. Um, Israel uh, Keys. Yes, Israel Keys. She did yeah. the Israel Keys shit. Yeah. Where she's uh -huh. like, where they think me, they're so smart and so snacks. cunning. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Th that's kind of exactly what she did. Yeah. So she leads investigators to not one place where Zara could be, but several locations around North Carolina where they do, in fact, find her remains in all seven in, places in all several places several. and I'm several. Oh yeah. my God. So that just means, you know what that means that they 
or she, her body was dismembered. Uh, yeah. So uh, these areas included the baker's home. Um, she also led them to the dead end street uh, near their home that actually had a wood chipper mm. and mulch piles there. Uh, Did they use the wood chipper? I think they someone did with some of the remains. Oh my god. Because they weren't able to find all of the remains. Oh, okay. Uh, She led them to old family homes that they used to live in, dumpsters behind stores in the surrounding area, and then a landfill that was located 20 miles away from their current home. That's so many places. So many places. So in these places, various remains and evidence were found. So they were able to find numerous bones, which were confirmed to be Zara's around November 11th. Zara's mattress, which they had placed in a dumper in a dumpster, but then they were able, the police were able to find it in a landfill and match DNA. Oh, that's lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, a car cover and a bed cover, which were used to transport Zara's remains, um, which they also dumped in another nearby dumpster. And then there was other remains and evidence found in the drain tap of the bathtub of the residence that they were living in. Plastic gloves that Elisa used that had um, Zara's blood on them <gasps> that were still in the bathroom. Oh. And then... Why would and you then, keep that? I know. And then um, the prosthetic leg that uh, she actually told the police that the prosthetic leg, they didn't tell her that they had found it prior to her leading investigators to where her remains were. Mm-hmm. Like she had no idea they found it. And so when she was revealing all these areas and leading investigators to where her remains were, she said, she told them that the prosthetic bag was in a dumpster behind the Fox Ridge apartments. Can in they Hickory. get her on that lie? They can't because in theory, someone could have taken it from the dumpster and Damn then it. just tossed it in the, on Christie road right yeah it's Which not a big totally enough fly and it's not uh i mean yeah it's not a big enough fly Ugh. um so then on november 12th 2010 and this is a month after the search began and four days before uh what would have been zara's 11th birthday all of those remains that they find are positively identified and an autopsy on those remains Um, concluded that the cause of death was undetermined homicidal violence. And they also said that on the the bones that they did find, Mm -hmm. there was evidence that one could determine that her body was sawed apart. So there there was marks on the bone. Yeah. That were consistent with using a tool that, that would have sawed her bones apart. Oh my God. So on November 11th, uh, Emily, her biological mother, arrives in the U.S. and she goes to visit the memorial that was already created by neighbors and family and friends at the home, at their former house. So there was already a little memorial there and the mom comes, her biological mother comes to visit. And by the way, I don't know that her biological mother had any contact with Zara 
whether it be on the phone or, you know, in letters prior to her death. Right, but at the same time, even if you don't, that's still like a... Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I don't see how she couldn't have. Right. But I, I don't know. I didn't look too much into that. So on November 16th, which was the day that would have been um, Zara's 11th birthday, a memorial is held in Hickory. 2,000 people attended. Wow. And it was held in the Union Square in downtown Hickory. And um, a very that very same kind of in the morning, a similar service was held in Australia for her as well. Oh, that's really cute. Yeah, so both both sides of the world were celebrating her birthday that day. So after they gather all the remains and they're gathering as much evidence as they could, this is kind of what they piece together of what could have happened and what they think happened. So Buzzy Winkler is actually Elisa's aunt And she claimed that Elisa confessed to her that Z had died after being sick for two weeks. Elisa said that she just didn't know what to do. uh, When when freaking hospital. Exactly. And that she was just going wild, basically. And um, they dismembered her body to hide her remains. And what if. What if this was her cancer coming back and she was that sick? Mm-hmm. Take her to a freaking hospital. You know, it was uh, later revealed that they had not taken her into her checkups at the doctor for like a year and a half prior to her death. <sighs> yeah. So around the same time they were homeschooling her, they also stopped taking her to the doctor. And, you know, you have to be checked every couple of months, especially a child, you know, in remission from cancer. Yeah, because they have to make sure it's still gone. Which, again, I'm... Didn't the medical personnel contact CPS on that, too? I mean, isn't there, like, a... Yeah, pro- and usually there's, like, an internal in the hospital. Yeah. Like, yeah. they'll stop you and talk to you right there in the hospital and be like, yeah. hey, so we noticed some of these. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, social workers at the hospital, too. Anyway, so Elisa told police that same story. She's like, yeah, about two weeks before I report, I called 911. She died. We didn't know what to do. Um, so Adam, it was Adam's idea to dismember the body on his own. And I only helped him hide the remains. That's why I knew no. where they were. And uh, she told police that, that Zara had died on September 24th. She was home with Zara, she left to go shopping. When she came back, she was laying on her bed. She called Zara's name several times. Zara wouldn't get up and come out of her room. So Elisa says that she goes into her room and she sits on her bed and she notices that Zara's chest isn't moving up and down. So instead of calling 911 as any adult would do she claims she started cpr for 30 minutes something tells me this woman does not know how to do cpr totally um she said i I quote couldn't get her back and i quote begging for god not to take her not to take zara okay Um, but you left a 10 year old home alone mm -hmm. and you don't care Uh, a a 10 year old who's Who's sick, right? A 10-year-old who's sick. Because remember, she said she was sick. So you're leaving a... Okay. Um, 
she didn't call 911 because she said she was too scared and that she called Adam instead. And he came home and he just said, let's dismember her body. No. And that she went along with the plan because Adam was her husband. Oh, no. No. Uh-uh. And then she says that he made her go with him to dispose of her remains when in reality, Adam had been in and out of the house for the two weeks prior to Zara being reported missing because he had been working so much. Mm-hmm. And he actually did not know she had died. And the way that that I feel Elisa was getting away with this is that he was working so much that I think Elisa just kept Zara's door closed. And so every time he was home, she would just be like, oh, she's moody or she's sleeping, which doesn't excuse Adam from any of this because what father is going to let two weeks go by? Right. With actually, I can see, fi- I can see a day. Being like, oh, she's she's not feeling well. She went to bed early. Okay, you yeah, know, she's not feeling well. Her door's shut. Let's get her to, a yeah. chance to rest. Yeah, two but two weeks, weeks, two weeks is a little much. So I I do think Adam had some other things going on on the side. If you know what I'm saying, I think there was. I think. I just, and that's speculation that was never reported or anything. I just think, I have a feeling that Adam was preoccupied with other things. I mean, all of these charges for the fraudulent checks, the fraudulent checks and the larceny. Yeah. I mean, that he could have been working insane overtime to try and cover expenses because it doesn't sound like Elisa was working. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, Records actually showed, so when police looked into it, records showed that Adam was actually 20 miles away in Conover, North Carolina, where he worked, uh, when all of this was happening. And Elisa, her phone had called his phone a dozen times when she was supposedly with him all day hiding the remains. And it was only her phone that pinged off of all of these areas where the remains were found. So this is the big lie they catch her on. Yeah. Uh huh. She's saying that Ad, that she went with Adam because he made her. It was mm-hmm. his idea. Uh, yet he's... It, he was at work. There were witnesses that say he was at work during those times. It is her phone that is pinging off of all these places where the remains are found. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's just she can't lie herself out of that one. Um, then on November 30th and then later in January 5th, um, all of these warrants in the case and uh, records were unsealed and they revealed more information that um, we now know, which is Zara had been dismembered in the bathtub at the Hickory house. Um, Her body parts and evidence were scattered in several sites and in several counties as well. And they also bring up in one of these sealed files that allegedly Zara had been raped by two other men. What? At some point. Yeah. And I am not sure if this is something that Elisa told them or if this was evidence that they had that they had uncovered. This next part will kind of tell you who I think were these two men. Okay. So what was also revealed is Elisa had an ongoing relationship with her ex-husband, Aaron Young. 
Like they were still chatting, having a romantic relationship. And she was also sleeping with Aaron's cousin, Sammy Young. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. And police, police had information from imview, com that Elisa, Adam, Aaron, and this other IMVU user, which was called Sweet Little Spitfire 69, that they were involved in Chainsaw Massacre role playing. What? Uh huh. On September 22nd. Wow. So they had kind of chat records and computer records of all of this. This isn't even the dark web, by the way. No. This is like out uh, there in the open. Yeah. Yeah. It's just these people are weird and this is gross. And yeah. I think that whole alleged raped by um, two men, I think that had to do with Sammy Young and um, Aaron Young. And that was never like I didn't read that anywhere. That is just something that I'm totally kind of reading into, basically. Yeah. Um, now. We also know, too, that from the medical examiner's office that um, much of Zara, unfortunately, wasn't recovered, including her head, oh, her no. lower left arm and hand, all of her right arm and hand, her lower right leg and foot, and some of her vertebrae and sternum. So what, what they did find of her was very little. That was like her trunk is like mm -hmm. all they found. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. This poor little girl. I know. I know. Um, an autopsy also revealed that um, several of her remains had marks from animals that scavenged oh, some of her bones. She can't even get peace in the afterlife. No. No. Uh-uh. So, actually, in April um, of 2012... Her skull was then found oh, and good. it was confirmed later in February of 2013. Oh, so good. that's why at the time of these kind of files being released, they didn't have the skull yet, but it was eventually found and then confirmed in February 2013. In February 2011, um, Elisa is indicted on second degree murder with five aggravating circumstances. So those five aggravating circumstances included the history of her already physical and psychological and emotional abuse of Zara through the CPS records, through the testimony of friends and family. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that Zara was very young and not only was she very young, she was also handicapped. Yeah. And so that is one of the aggravating circumstances because clearly Elisa took advantage of that. Um, and that she desecrated the body in hopes that she would not be found. Um, she was also indicted for bigamy charges for being married to Ad or to Aaron Young when she married Adam. That's funny. So I like she, that they used that. Yeah. So they included that too. As for Adam, he continued to deny involvement and the police were never able to find evidence that he was connected at all in um, Zara's death. Basically, the only thing they could confirm or find was that he was just a bad dad, right? And not a present dad. And they basically said, I quote, no credible evidence to believe that anyone else was involved in the murder of Zara 
except for Elisa. So what he was charged with was identity theft. So in April of that same year, he was actually had a history of using Elisa's daughter's husband's name to connect electricity to his apartments. What? Yeah. So he was using somebody else's name to get utilities. And a side note, by the way, this wasn't the first time Adam or Elisa was using her daughter's name and info and her daughter's husband's name and info to obtain utility services at at other residences. How bad does your situation have to be? That you have to use somebody else's name. The power company won't give you power. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Man. I know. So on January 12th, 2012, Adam Baker was cleared by the police and he was actually given permission by the United States to go back to Australia. Uh, basically they say they give him permission. He was deported. Right. (laughs) And uh, he actually took Zara's remains with him and he was able to bury them in Australia. Oh, that's so at least she got to go home. Take her home. Yeah. Uh huh. On September 15th, 2011, Elisa obviously pleads guilty to all nine felonies. Um, So, She's got second degree murder. She also has some drug charges, which I'll tell you about in a second, and obstruction of justice, which is unrelated to the second degree murder charge. She was sentenced to 18 years in prison, but she was given another 10 years, actually two years after her original sentence in 2013 for those drug related charges. So basically during this whole time that she was living with Adam and Zara, she was selling drugs from her home and she had multiple people coming in and out buying drugs from her and she was foraging checks and giving bad like uh, counterfeited money. And it was just a mess a mess. So she was a, so two years after she was originally, um, when she pled guilty to the second degree murder, they were able to get her on, give her 10 more years on these other drug charges. Is that 10 years additional or is it additional? No, it's additional because it was unrelated. So they were able, yeah, but also only 18 years. For murdering a a 10-year-old and then scattering her and losing parts of her body. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't get that either, but this might make you feel better because she is currently at the, at North Carolina's correctional Institute where there's 12,000 inmates and she is the most hated inmate in that correctional institution. And she actually has to be isolated for her own protection. They hate her, like hate her. So she is, it's, she's not talking herself out of shit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, she's scheduled to be released from prison on July 2nd, 2025. She'll be 70 years old. Yeah, when she completes her sentences, um, 60 Minutes in Australia actually had a sit-down interview with her in the prison, mm-hmm. um, and she does admit it was an evil act, but then two seconds later, she's talking about how much she misses Zara. No, no. And that this isn't her fault. She felt like Adam was her Prince Charming mm. and that she believes she's still a good person with a good heart. 
And um, she even like babbles on and on about how what a close bond she had with Zara and that even her two other daughters were jealous because of just how well she treated Zara all the time. My eyes have rolled so yeah. far back. Yeah. Actually in my stomach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know what? If you get a chance, watch the 60 Minutes interview uh, with her because the reporter who sits down with her is having none of it. Oh, I like, love it. She's just like, oh, you you cared about her? That's why you dismembered her body and scattered her all over North Carolina? Like, that makes zero sense. And, like, when she says, I'm a good person, the reporter's actually like, can you explain to me how you're a good person? And, like, the whole time, Elisa's just sitting there just, like, kind of like, I I just am, like, I, I don't know why you don't believe me. And the reporter, again, having none of it. So I loved watching that interview. In the end, on May 19th, 2012, they actually created a Zara Baker All Children's Playground Memorial Park in Hickory. And this is a 3,600 square foot park, and it is designed to be used by all children, even those with disabilities and prosthetics. So they have this special equipment on the playground that even a child in a wheelchair could use. Oh, I've seen those. There's yeah. like swings where you roll yes. up into it. Uh-huh. Oh, that's so yeah. cute. And this whole playground was funded by donations and grants, and it was actually built by volunteers in the community. Oh, I love that. And they have a plaque there. Also, with I'd Zara's be a little picture. concerned with like children's playground equipment being built by I know. volunteers. <laughs> but, you know, they also do like Habitat no, for Humanity, yeah, which yeah. is, yeah, it's fine. I'm sure they had like professional people too, but um, I just thought it was great that the, that Hickory, you know, kind of wanted to do this for yeah. her. And, um, and every year they do, they still do a memorial on her birthday. I know that there's always memorials in Australia on her birthday as well. So, um, so she's definitely not forgotten and, um, her short tragic life isn't in vain. You know, she, there's this beautiful playground and now this horrible monster is behind bars but I'm a little hopefully she dies before she gets out I don't know I mean we got three years Rona didn't get her so I know I know so that is the case of sad case of Zara Baker and oh my gosh you're gonna see a picture of her you can see her personality in her picture she's just a cute cute little girl I'm really sad that she had such a, a a tough life a horrible in the end too. So anywho, now it is out of my head and into yours. So you're welcome for this little nugget. I also have to say Zara is a cute name. I really like that name. Yeah. Zara is a cute name. Didn't Angelina Jolie use Zara and Brad Pitt for one of their kids? I think they have a Zara. You know, I'm not the person to ask this question to. See, I have knowledge about that stuff. You have knowledge about important things. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say one thing right now? I am so fucking cold in this house. I'm so goddamn hot. Oh my God. We should trade places. My husband keeps this house like at 68. It's 82 in here. (laughs) Well, we 
are both suffering our own types of hell right now because not only do I have to pee, but I am so cold. Jeez. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I need to go pee. We need to We're end done. this now. Oh, okay. Oh, jeez. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. I'm going to go pee. Bye. Bye. Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week. Bye.